Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. I can't believe it. Here we are together on the fourth Sunday of Advent. For Christians around the world, it is the Sunday of love, where we reflect on how deeply God loved the world by sending the one and only Son at Christmas. But for me, it is the Sunday where I realize that I have run out of Sundays before Christmas Day. And I have I finished my Christmas shopping? Absolutely not. Is it too late to, too late to place online orders for presents? <laughs> Maybe. Am I guaranteed that the brick and mortars are going to have what I'm looking for in stock? Probably not. Oh yes, and please do not ask me if I have mailed out my perfectly curated Shutterfly family photo Christmas cards to friends and family yet, because I haven't, and this year I'm not going to. It's strange to me how a holiday all about giving can produce so much guilt and anxiety in me. Did I spend the same amount of money on both of my kids? Did I get meaningful gifts for all of my volunteers and my coworkers? Does everyone I care about get a gift that perfectly sums up how much I care about them? And yes, I know mom and dad say that just being with me and the grandkids is gift enough. But let's be real here. I'm not going to not get them something, right? It's moments like these where I kind of feel like Charlie Brown in the Christmas special shouting, is there anyone who really knows what Christmas is all about? Soon we're gonna have children's pageants and candlelit services. We'll read the familiar story and join together to welcome the Christ child once again into the world. We'll sing Silent Night and Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And in between the lights, the music, the food, the wrapping paper, maybe, just maybe we'll catch a moment of silence where the message of God coming into the world as a helpless baby really sinks in to our hearts. In today's scripture, We heard the story of pregnant Mary visiting her older cousin, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant. Now, Mary was an unwed mother-to-be with no guarantees that anyone would believe such a far-fetched story that she was carrying the Son of God in her womb. As I overheard a teenager say during the university love feast last week, Mary's got some explaining to do. Perhaps she saw that Elizabeth and Zechariah were a safe space where she could hide out for a while to figure out her next steps. And her assumptions paid off. She was greeted with joy, blessing, and full acceptance. Knowing nothing about Mary's special encounter with the angel Gabriel, Elizabeth was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit herself and announced over Mary... Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. 
in a world that would have judged and rejected this teen mom, Elizabeth blessed and welcomed Mary into a safe harbor. Before she even knew the gospel of Jesus Christ, Elizabeth was acting it out for Mary and the baby in her womb. And right then and there, Mary composed the first Christmas carol. This song that Mary sings is traditionally called the Magnificat, which is the first word in the so of the song in Latin. And it means, my soul glorifies the Lord. It also means magnifies or expands. Whatever her views of God were before, now that Mary has a safe space to celebrate her miraculous pregnancy without fear of judgment, her view of God is now expanded and magnified. History and endless children's pageants have typically painted Mary as the silent, submissive type. But this song of Mary's is anything but silent and submissive. This song reveals Mary's understanding of the gospel. This is a protest song. God has chosen her, an unknown, impoverished, brown-skinned woman in an occupied land to bring the Savior of the world into existence. It's likely Mary would have been familiar enough with the stories of the Old Testament to recognize a common theme. God has historically preferred to elevate the humble and thwart the proud. And now God has chosen Mary, not some famous, powerful woman, to be the mother of Christ. Before he is even born, Mary proclaims that God has already begun the work of extending mercy to the humble and scattering the proud, bringing down rulers and lifting up the humble. Before Jesus is even born, with just the announcement of his birth, God has filled the hungry and sent the rich away empty. God has remembered to be merciful to Israel, a weak and weary people, under the iron rule of an oppressive foreign government. So this song is incredibly subversive. Throughout history, oppressed and impoverished people have found hope in Mary's words, believing that God's coming into the world through Jesus had the real power to reverse the power dynamics in the world. In fact, in the last century, at least three countries found the words of the Magnificat to be so politically subversive that they banned the reading of it in public. In 1968, language emerged in the Latin American Catholic Church and in Methodist circles that everywhere throughout Scripture, it is revealed that God has what's called a preferential option for the poor. Now, this doesn't mean that God loves poor people more than anyone else, but it does mean that God is uniquely concerned about the well-being of the poor and the hungry, the weak and the oppressed. Over and over in the Old Testament, God used prophets to cry out against injustices and abuses done to the poor. 
And then the ministry of Christ was characterized by a deep concern for the presence with the poor and outcast and marginalized of society. This grand arc of the biblical story invites us to be participants in Mary's song. As we prepare to welcome the Christ child again this Christmas, we are invited into the story with great humility. Mary's song is good news for the poor and lowly, but it is quite clearly bad news for the wealthy oppressor satisfied with the status quo. Christ reveals God's heart for the world, and at the core of God's heart is that everyone would know and fully embrace their belovedness. You are absolutely blessed and beloved. But that's not always an easy message to believe, especially if you are among the poor and powerless. Most of us fall somewhere in the realm of middle-class Americans. It's not the case that many of us in this space are destitute or fully powerless. Most of us know where our next meal is coming from. We have shelter, warmth, maybe even a community and healthcare. I doubt many of us in this space see ourselves as the wealthy oppressor, though. I mean, we're not actively and intentionally stepping on the rights of the poor, are we? So what does Mary's song mean for us? I'd like to tell two stories that might help clear some of this up. The first story is about an actual saint named Bishop Oscar Romero, who served in El Salvador in the last century. For most of his career, he was like most other priests. He cared for his people, he proclaimed the good news, he administered the sacraments week in and week out, but a violent civil war broke out in his country. And this civil war led Romero to believe that the gospel had to be more than just spiritual comfort. As a military dictatorship took over the country, Romero's closest friend, Father Rutilio Grande, was a vigorous defender of the poor in El Salvador. Grande was murdered for speaking out, and soon after, five more priests were assassinated for defending the poor. Romero had recited the Magnificat as a prayer every day of his career as a priest. He was beginning to internalize its meaning in relation to this preferential option for the poor that he was learning about the gospel. Romero's weekly sermons were broadcast all over national radio, and as the military government squelched the poorest of the land, Romero's radio sermons were the only trusted news source for what was actually happening in the country. He was unafraid to criticize the government-sponsored massacres in the name of the law of loving thy neighbor. Those who sought to maintain a hostile takeover, including religious officials and the American government, sought to discredit Romero and his supporters by calling them Marxist communists. One night, Romero broadcast a radio sermon beseeching soldiers 
to disobey government orders and stop killing their brothers and sisters in the streets, to instead choose the just law of God's love over the unjust laws of the land. The next day, Romero was assassinated in the church while he was preaching. For many of us familiar with Romero's story, he's a kind of super saint, a superhero who stood up against great evil and didn't back down even to the loss of his own life. He defended the poor in the name of Jesus Christ at all costs. He believed so much that God loved these insignificant, unknown people, and he spoke up for them relentlessly. Romero wrote this beautiful poem that echoes the words of the Magnificat, and I want you to hear it and receive its beauty and power today. This is the Christian's joy. I know that I am a thought in God. No matter how insignificant I may be, the most abandoned of beings, one no one thinks of. Today, when we think of Christmas gifts, how many outcasts no one thinks of. Think to yourselves, you that are outcasts, you that feel you are nothing in history. I know that I am a thought in God. Would that my voice might reach the imprisoned like a ray of light of Christmas hope, might say also to you the sick, the elderly in the home for the aged, the hospital patients, you that live in shacks and shanty towns, you coffee harvesters trying to garner your only wage, for the whole year that you are tortured God's eternal purpose has thought of all of you. He loves you. And like Mary, he incarnates that thought in his womb. Isn't that Mary's delight in the Magnificat? I am a thought in God. The God of the universe actually thinks about me and wants my wellness. It's a life-changing way to live. I said I wanted to tell you two stories. The first was about a historical hero, someone it's hard to imagine walking in his shoes. The second is more personal. The second story is about my dad. Two years ago, I was married to an incredible woman. By all appearances, we had a really good marriage but I knew something that no one else knew. I was gay. I had known it since I was a kid, but I grew up in a time and a place where being gay wasn't only not an option, but the church told me it was completely despised by God. And church and faith meant the world to me. I even felt called to ministry in the church, but that same church had written in its policies that homosexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching. So I bottled it up. I hid it away, and it killed me every day for decades. Well, 
thanks to an amazing therapist, I reached a point where I knew I could no longer say I loved my wife and keep such an important secret from her. I, I knew that telling the truth was the most important thing that I could do, but I could not predict the outcomes. I could lose my family. I could lose my job in the church. I could lose everything. But the truth matters even when it hurts. So two years ago, this month, I told my wife the truth. I'm gay. We were both in shock. And that shock pretty quickly turned into grief like neither of us had ever felt before. And then in walked my dad. He didn't know what he was stepping into. He did not come from Virginia to North Carolina expecting to do what he did. But he knew that we needed him. And he rearranged his entire life so that he could move into the house with us for three months and help us navigate our crumbling world. After my wife, my dad was the second person I came out to. I wasn't afraid that he would reject me. He had proven too many times that he loved me no matter what. And that's exactly what he did. Me, my wife, my kids. He loved us with his actions. He was smack dab in the beginning of merging two of the biggest banks in the world. And he took the time every day for three months to make sure all of us were cared for. Now, my dad is incredibly thoughtful and I'm pretty sure he's deeply spiritual, though he's not much of a church person and you're not going to get him to agree with you too much on Christian theological claims. But when I and my family were in our darkest hour, he relentlessly fought for us to know and trust that as Romero says, I am a thought in God. Because of my dad's love for me, I'm alive today. More than that, I'm happy. I'm thriving. And I've never felt more sure that God is interested in the salvation and wholeness of all humanity. Do you know what? Darned if dad isn't the hardest person to pick out a Christmas present for. <laughs> There's this ancient word that the church used to describe Mary, the mother of Christ. It's a Greek word, theotakos. It means God-bearer. Quite literally, Mary bore God into the world through the birth of Christ. When we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, we ask Christ to be born in us today. Like, like Mary, you and I are called to be God-bearers. The message of Christmas is that God loves you. You. And God wants to work with you to help others experience that deep, life-changing love as well. You may feel insignificant in history. 
You may not be any Oscar Romero, and I hope that you never have to go through what my dad did for me. But you are guaranteed to have opportunities in this life, opportunities to show with your words and your actions that God's love is for everybody. Like Mary, it's a really humbling gift to be given, but it's the gift of Christmas. Each of us God-bearers in the world, each of us belovedly held in the mind of God. Let us pray. God, we stand with Mary amazed that you who crafted the universe would take notice of us. With all that is going on in the world, even still, you hold us belovedly close to your heart. With the busyness of this season, we ask that you would humble our hearts to delight in your love for us so we may partner with you in bearing the light and love of Christ into the world's darkest places. Bless us that we may be a blessing to others. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.